0: And I chose the Gospel of Luke in particular um, because it is the first half of Luke, and Acts is the second half of Luke. You might look at it that way. Um, And so we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. And you'll notice as I read the text uh, the similarities uh, between the beginning of the book of Acts and the end of the book of Luke. In fact, they overlap almost verbatim in some parts. Uh, So with that, let me go ahead and read... God's Word to you this morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace to you.' But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, "'Why are you troubled, and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts?' See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, that by your Spirit, the one whom you sent, uh, that we would uh, know more fully the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would see him more clearly, that we would love him more. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are many, I think, who would like to change Christianity. Uh, Really, all religion, for that matter. want to change it completely, to kind of change the way it is, into something, a moral story. Kind of, if we could take the best parts, as they would put it, of all the parts of various religions and fit them together, we would have a good morality, a moral story. To reduce it to its essence and strip away those parts that are either offensive... Or in their words, maybe unbelievable. Jesus was a great teacher who defied the status quo to bring justice and social change into the world. He taught us how to love one another. He empowered the weak and threatened the strong. Those are just examples um, that might ring sort of true of our culture, the things of Jesus that might be uh, held on to. There's an appeal to this kind of religion, actually, in that we can pick and choose the stuff that sort of comports with our cultural mores, that kind of fits uh, with the stuff that we hear on a uh, day-by-day basis. And really, that kind of religion only demands as much as we want it to, and no more. Some of you here this morning may have come out of a sense that Easter, maybe you come for all sorts of reasons, but you may come out of a sense that Easter is a good time to be reminded of these things, to be reminded of the call to love your neighbor as yourself. To remind yourselves of this culturally radical Palestinian who put it to the man, right? Or to remind yourselves that you're okay and that the problem is in the world out there. There's all sorts of reasons um, that we come to Easter. The problem is that Easter celebrate, celebrates something much grander and more radical. It not only reminds us to love our neighbor as ourself, it shows us our failure to do so. I'll look at this in a bit. But not only that, it shows us our failure to do so, but it also shows us the Christ, the One, the hope that we have of someone who who did not fail. And who not only reminds us to love our neighbor, but compels us to love our neighbor. Easter not only reminds you how radical Jesus' teachings were and how He confronted the Pharisees and religious leaders of His day, but how absolutely, earth-shatteringly powerful and magnificent Jesus is. And how He confronted not just the Pharisees, not just the religious leaders of His day, but the very power of evil and sin in this world. And He didn't just confront it. He crushed it. He destroyed it. And the thing, the evil that Christ confronted and crushed is not some evil out there in the world, some general thing, but it is the evil, the sin, that dwells in us. In other words, Christ confronts us. Our whole entire trajectory of life on account of evil, apart from Christ, was a trajectory toward the grave. It was spiraling in that direction. It was moving that way. And So when we celebrate Easter, it's not a moral story. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who overcame the grave. And this This good news, Jesus risen from the dead, transforms everything. Everything. It changes our grave word trajectory, that spiral. It gives us confidence that evil does not prevail, that there is hope for justice and truth. And it does compel us to love. Truly love. So, with that, I want to turn to the text and see the good news that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He bodily rose from the dead. If someone were to ask you, what is Christianity all about? What is it about? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? I think for many of us it would take this form. It's about Jesus who died for sinners like you and me and He offers forgiveness for those who believe. For a good chunk of us, that would be a fairly common expression, and it's not wrong, exactly, it's not, it's not wrong at all, um, but it's not the whole of it. It's not everything. And some of you might take that approach that I mentioned just a moment ago. Christianity is about being good. It's about good morals. It's about about standing up for justice and truth. Um, However it is that you might define good. And for everyone that might be a little different. But again, in one sense, Christianity has a lot to say about being good. It has, has so many moral commands that come out of God's Word. But this is also not a complete explanation of what Christianity is about. And I think it's helpful to note in our text that Jesus' closest companions, the, one he spent the ones He spent the most time with, struggled to grasp what following Jesus, what, it, what being a Christian was all about. They struggled. They lived with Him. They ate with Him. And they struggled to see what it was all about. You'll note this, uh, that Jesus actually had to open their minds. You you see these these words uh, down in your your passage here. Um, Jesus is talking to them. He's saying these things. And then in verse 45 it says, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. These are people that have been with Him since day one. And they're still struggling to believe. And Jesus said to them in verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And again, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise again from the dead. Now, to be, to be fair to Jesus, it wasn't the first time he mentioned his death and resurrection. And remember, there is an account... Peter had just confessed, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Messiah just meaning the anointed one. The Christ is another word for Messiah. It's the one who God would send and deliver his people from bondage. It was, it was the great king, the anointed king who would come. And Peter says, you're that king. You're that God-sent king that has come into this world. And immediately following that, those words... Jesus says, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, the Messiah, has to suffer, has to die at the hands of the authorities, and he has to rise again from the dead. Do you remember what Peter's response was? Anybody? It was this. No, Jesus. No, that is not part of this game. You're the Messiah. You've come to conquer. You've come to be the king. And, and, and Peter uh, is, pulls Jesus aside. He, he, he talks to him privately and he says, Jesus, you've got it wrong. The words in Mark say he rebuked the Lord Jesus. Peter didn't grasp it then. In fact, it says that he rebuked him for saying such things. The disciples didn't get it. I think we struggle to get it. And at the heart of the matter, the thing that makes sense of it all, the thing that that was missing for them was this, the resurrection. Up to this point in our text, Jesus had appeared to a few people already. He appeared to Mary Magdalene and to the women. We read that earlier, the women who went to the grave to, to see, and, and they met the angel, and they were turned back, and on their way back, Jesus confronted them. And he also met two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and he also met Peter. So there were rumors and reports about this idea of the resurrection. But the disciples, despite these reports, were reeling from the loss. You can imagine. All their expectations, all their hopes were wrapped up uh, in him being that conquering king. And now he was buried in, under uh, in a tomb with a big stone rolled in front of it. And yeah, there were some reports of the stone being rolled away, but maybe his body was snatched. And who knows what happened to him? All their hope seemed gone. They hardly dared believe those reports. It was too much for them. And it was in this moment that our text says that Jesus stood among them. I don't know what that looked like. Um, but I, I I sort of imagine the scene a little bit. Uh, Andrew says to Matt, Matthew, maybe, and says something like, So Matt, well, what do you make of Peter and Mary's claim? Do you, do you think it holds any weight? And maybe Philip jumps in and says, It seems ludicrous to me. I mean, he's gone. And then maybe Matthew pipes in, then at that point says, Well, maybe it's just their grief talking. People have all sorts of experiences in the midst of grief. Maybe it's their grief talking. But, but, you know, those two disciples walk into... Him, to, to uh, um, uh, Emmaus, maybe, maybe they were right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus pipes in, Peace to you! Here they were, drowning in their sorrows, wondering at these reports, trying to figure out what in the world was going on, scared for their life. And Jesus is there. He just appears, and He's in their midst, and He says, Peace to you! What would be your response to that? Jesus confronts their doubts and their unbelief. He's standing in front of them, mind you. You see, I think the disciples were comfortable with Jesus as rabbi and Jesus as Messiah, teacher and, and Savior, but in that sense of conquering king. But they did not have a paradigm for the resurrection. They couldn't get their minds around it. Sure, Jesus may have mentioned it before, but they understood the resurrection as something, something happening happening sort of at the end of time. After, after you've died, there will be a general re- resurrection when when the dead will be raised and, and the, the, those faithful uh, believers will be raised up. Um, you remember the scene when Lazarus was in the grave? No, if you can go back, you can read it. Lazarus was in the grave, and um, Jesus is talking to Martha. And Jesus asked Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha's response is something like, well, I do believe that there's a general resurrection from the dead. This would have been understandable to them, that eventually, after eons, maybe, there would be a general resurrection of the dead. And in that moment, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't think she grasped it still, I think the disciples grasped it. And if I were to guess here, I think that we probably don't view the resurrection much differently than the disciples. It's something in the offing. That's a, that's a maritime term. When, when you can't see, it's beyond the horizon. It's in the offing. Sorry, I use sometimes, I use terms like that. But Something that we will encounter in some time, in some place, even feels like some alternate universe, um, once we're long gone from this world, maybe then we'll understand the resurrection. That's how it feels, isn't it? It's sort of a distant reality without much bearing on our current life. What does the resurrection... what, What significance does it have for me now? But here was Jesus in their midst, fully alive. And it still was too much for them to believe. And so Jesus asks, "Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have?" It was all too much for the disciples to digest, to take in. They watched him arrested. They'd watched Him beaten. They'd watched Him mocked and hung on a cross. They watched Him die. And they took His body down and they wrapped it in grave clothes. And they put spices on Him so that He wouldn't stink because of His rotting flesh. And they had put Him into a tomb and they had rolled a big stone in front. It was too much that He was here now. It wasn't Him. It was someone else. It was something else. So what does Jesus do? He holds up His hands... He sticks out his foot and he says, "Come over put your put your hand right here, touch." I think at that moment they started, to, they started to tremble and they started to, to get that kind of look in their eyes like this is really Jesus and, and all their fears and anxieties of what this apparition was but no it's really Jesus, all of that all of a sudden turned into another form of unbelief. It wasn't unbelief, it was disbelief. It was that feeling of, of wonder and awe and joy and it says they disbelieved for joy. They still didn't grasp it. Uh, they still didn't get it. Friends, the reason we struggle with the resurrection is because it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true that death won't have the final say. It's too good to be true that sin does not have all the power over us. It's too good to be true that life doesn't just spiral toward the grave and end, but that it bursts out of the grave in new life, resurrected life. There's, it, that just doesn't seem to be true. It's too much. It's too good. It's too hopeful. You see, if you came here this morning for a morally uplifting story of how love conquers all and that we simply need to love, then friends, you're just scratching at the surface of the significance of Easter. Love does conquer, and the resurrection is the proof of that. But it's not some abstract, highly spiritualized picture. No, it's Jesus literally dying, shedding his blood, being pierced, hanging on a cross. And he did that for love's sake. Because he loves us. Because apart from that great act of love, in dying, Sid would continue to have its sway over us, sin would and does bring us to the grave, and that would have been for eternity. But Jesus died that we might live. And all of that crucifixion stuff is meaningless apart from the resurrection. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Not just because He is God and He can, but He did it in order to break sin and death. Death and sin no longer have power. It seems too good to be true. Have you ever been in a moment where you've been overwhelmed with the impossibility of what you were experiencing? Personally, I think, when I watched my children give birth, and it was a crazy experience for anybody who's gone through it, um, but I sat there and just, I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't grasp it. The wonder and awe. Maybe for you it was some natural wonder. or Maybe it was the sudden appearance of a long-lost friend or family member. They knock on the door, and you open the door, and there they are, and you're just, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a thousand miles away, and here you are in my living room, and there's huge embraces and joy, and you just say, I can't believe it to be true. I cannot believe that you're here right now. Have you been, you've been in those situations? Maybe it was a gift, kids. Have you ever received a gift? that you just thought was impossible to get, and then all of a sudden there it was on Christmas morning, and you're like, it can't be true. It's not true. You say, someone pinched me. I must be dreaming. Have you ever been there? All of these things pale in comparison to the risen Jesus. It is too good. It's not too good to be true. It's true. It's just too good. So good that our minds cannot comprehend its goodness even when it's standing right in front of us. In a moment of levity, it seems Jesus says, Y'all have anything to eat around here? I don't know, I just pictured him saying it in a southern accent. Y'all have anything good to eat around here? You know that last meal that I had was a few days ago, and I could really go for something, and I think I smell fish. (laughs) But even in this, he's saying, I'm real. I'm here. And Jesus would then go on to reveal himself to hundreds of others. And when Paul would later write to the Corinthians, to a bunch of Gentile converts who had no concept of resurrection, uh, he'd say this, "...for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them, most of whom, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul saying, in that moment he's saying, you know what, this is of first importance, and it, it, it is so true that you can go and ask any of these people, I've got a list of names, you can ask any of them, still alive today, who are witness to the resurrection says I deliver to you as first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins that he was buried that he was raised on the 3rd day friends what is christianity all about yes it's about the atoning death of Jesus that he died on the cross to pay for your sins yes it's about new life about living a life of love loving one another it's both of those things but there's no atonement And no life of love without the resurrection. Paul says in Romans that he was raised, that is Jesus was raised for our justification. In other words, he was raised that we might have forgiveness of sins. And at the end of his exposition on the resurrection in Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He has just finished this huge exposition on the resurrection, and he concludes with, Love. Bear fruit. You see, in the power of the risen Christ, we abound in the work of the Lord. We labor to love. Well, even as the disciples were trying to take in the fact that Jesus was in their midst, that Jesus was standing in front of them, that they could see and touch His wounds, and He would eat the food that they had prepared as they were wrestling with all of this, Jesus was on a mission. His goal was that his resurrection and its power of life would be made known to the world. He says in verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise again from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Friends, this is the good news. That Jesus died. That He paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins. That He rose again. That He broke the power of the grave. That He broke the power of sin and death. And that he gives us his spirit. Did you hear that in those words? That, that they were to wait until the spirit was sent from on high. Do you remember the whole book of Acts is about the movement of the spirit? They waited and waited, and then the spirit came down at Pentecost. And as that spirit came down, the tongues of fire were on the, 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 the heads of all who were there, and they were able to hear in their own tongue the words that Peter was preaching. This spirit of power is ours. Spirit who empowers us to live now, to love now. And what does this love look like? It looks like, firstly, I think, sharing the love of the resurrected Savior, the hope of the resurrection. The hope of forgiveness of sins with others. So what he says, he says, I'm sending you out that, that you're gonna go out and you're gonna proclaim the, the you're gonna pro- proclaim forgiveness of sins to the world. You're gonna start in Jerusalem and you're gonna go out and the whole world is gonna come to know the power of the resurrection. As we think about Easter, how do you think about it? Think about it as a time to come together and hear a good message about how we're called to love one another. Or is it a way to look out at the world and say, I'm better? Is it just a good moral story? Friends, it's none of those things. It's the power of God over death, over the grave. It's the power of the resurrection the hope of the gospel for forgiveness of sins. It's the power of love. Love for us. And love that pours out of us into others. It's the power of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. Thank you that though we are a struggling, doubting people, who struggle to comprehend uh, the wonder and majesty and power that is yours, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who came and who proclaimed peace, who stood in the midst of his disciples. And despite their weakness believe, He encouraged them and strengthened them and eventually sent His Spirit to dwell in them. Lord, we thank You for all those things. And Lord, we ask that You would help us as those who've been transformed by this power, that we would go out and share the love of Christ. We thank You for Jesus, our resurrected Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.